to the 2020-30 podcast. I am Magdalena and I am sitting here together with Max from Studio MMO4 in the studio. Hey, hey. In this edition, we are having a special guest with us, Megan Michaeljohn from Land to Market. And before Max is interviewing her in our studio, we are listening to the interview from the 2020-30, the Berlin Fashion Summit with Nix Eriksson from AG. And Megan Michael John from Land to Market, moderated by Max Gilgenmann. So this is a kind of a complex topic, and I haven't really fully understood it. So what is what do you do you know? Well, I mean, thanks to the interview I had with both of them during our summit, I did get quite a bit more. And obviously, we I have been looking into it for a while. But it's always great to have experts, real experts on these things to properly understand. And I think with today's session, we really we're getting a bit deeper into it. Um, I mean, there's there's a special focus with with this round. It's mainly on leather and sheepskin and wool. So in theory, there's other regenerative materials, and I'm sure we're gonna cover them in the future, like cotton, for example. But I think here we have this really tangible example, eh? also with Arc leading the way. And I mean, you can buy the products. So it's really exciting to see how this is becoming concrete. And even though I may not understand all the details, but it definitely has a direct positive impact. And that's what we're always talking about. Yeah, especially when we are talking about soil and even uh, and there's also a difference between um, organic farming and regenerative farming and that what uh, that's something we will learn about also and it is really interesting to look into it even if from outside it might be a bit uh, too detailed probably but it does make a big difference. Yeah, and in some ways, I mean, it is complex. It is as complex as nature is because it is nature. It's part of it. But at the same time, there's also a lot of simplicity to it, um, which I find if one looks into some of our industrial processes, um, one could actually be relieved how simple some processes can be in a farm. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited how how this is going to become like a, a more constant part of fashion and supply chains in the future and kind of bringing nature back into the game. So, yeah, there's a lot of hope in this. Yeah, so let's listen to them. Let's listen to your interview with them during the summit and then the deep dive session with Megan in our studio today. Welcome. It's lovely to have you. First of all, obviously, um, Megan, we're going to talk a bit about regenerative agriculture today. And we have you here as an absolute expert. So I'm really happy because we have it in the title here, but actually we don't know half as much as you. So really happy about this session that we're uh, going to start right now. And uh, maybe you can also kind of talk us through a little bit about land to market, the program that you work with, but then the Savory Institute that is behind it and how you work, because there's so much knowledge and so much experience um, that I think, yeah, our audience will gain a lot of inspiration from. And also um, we can then much better continue the dialogue on regenerative business and agriculture for to start with. And then obviously super happy to have you here. Really A year ago, I found out that AG has a strategy on regenerative agriculture. And I was like, 
what I, why didn't I even see anything about it? And it, it popped up in my mind like, oh, this is incredible. Such a unique and iconic brand that is now with a quite strict and strong strategy going into this field. Um, and I was like, okay, I think we're really on the right way here also. So yeah, really happy to have you both here. Would like to kickstart really with, with you and getting an introduction on what is regenerative agriculture? Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, right, so how is this all connected? We have Land to Market as a program, the Savory Institute, and then how is it all connected to regenerative agriculture? And, and I'll start with the, the program. So I work for a company called Land to Market, and our, it, we're a program, a verification program for products that are coming from regenerative farms. And the way that, that well, why we exist is that we were first created by the Savory Institute, which is a nonprofit that works globally on really ecosystem restoration, specifically of grasslands. And the way that they, they restore those grasslands, um, say it's in a state of degradation or trending towards a desertification, they, they properly manage animals in a way that mimics how wild herds of, of animals would act in nature when you have this balance between, uh, you know, the, these grazers, like, um, in this case, we're using livestock, right? So it's mostly cattle, bison, sheep, goats. Uh, we don't have the, that natural predator-prey relationship anymore. So it's a form of biomimicry where the animals are moved in a specific way that the grasslands are used to because grasslands and grazing animals co-evolve. So the, the health of each depends on one another. Um, so this work has been going on for, for, for decades. Uh, we refer to it as holistic management. And the Savory Institute was formed in, in 2009, and they work globally um, right now with different uh, hubs around the world, about 50 hubs right now. And this demand for regenerative started coming from the brands, and that's why Land to Market was created. It was really to provide this bridge, like a sourcing solution for brands who wanted these regenerative materials, uh, and then for the consumers that they could recognize a product that was supporting those regenerating landscapes. Um, so how we define regenerative is at, at Land to Market, we define it as purely outcome-based. So for every farm that is within our program and that is supplying products to our brand members, they are measuring their land. Every single piece of land is measured empirically using a scientific protocol that was developed by the Savory Institute, as well as a couple universities and some of the Savory hubs that I mentioned. And so what we're looking for is positive trends in ecosystem functioning, which is we want to see positive trends in like less soil erosion, um, better mineral cycling and water uh, cycling, more biodiversity, healthier soils. So we're looking at all these different indicators because uh, nature is a complex system. So we can't just like take a measurement of a farm, right? We have to look at different indicators that give us an idea of how that land is trending based on how it's managed. Wow. I mean, that is actually, I think, a good, good uh, insight. I hope that this has started. Yes, I see some nodding faces started to kind of make the thing a little bit better to understand. But obviously, we also have a little bit more time to go into also practical um, examples, I think. Well, I'm already seeing some very practical examples here. And also, I have the luck to own one of the first uh, Ag Minis and was wearing them in. I must say, so far, it feels just as fantastic as it should. So I guess that's anyway the goal. Um, so also over to you now, Nix. Um, I think most, probably most people know what Ag does in general, and we can see the classic and unique um, uh, boot. But 
what inspired you to go into agriculture into regenerative agriculture really yeah thanks max thanks for having me here um no at ag we are really on a journey towards a more regenerative future and uh we realize we have a responsibility we have a role to play uh we're a big company a big brand um to help to do our part to help protect the planet for future generations and we know um, a key area to work on is how we source our material and our materials. That's where we have an opportunity to really reduce our environmental impacts. Um, and of course, many of you know these products that we have in front of me, the classic boot and our slippers. Um, we center all our products around this idea of crafting products to last. So it's all about longevity. It's all about making sure that the consumer can wear these products again and again. And we know consumers wear these parts for a long time. Uh, we use very premium sheepskin, and we have for a long time. And now we see this opportunity to connect regenerative agriculture, how we source these products, and how we source the materials to actually have a positive, lasting impact on the land where it comes from, just as Megan described, and therefore a positive impact on the planet. So we're very proud partners with Land to Market and Saver Institute, and. Uh, uh, it really all started with this idea of trying to find a way to be more mindful with the resources of this planet. Um, and we've done a lot of work around figuring out how we reduce our environmental impact, how we use more responsible materials. Uh, but we wanted to push ourselves to try to do even more and really think about how do we use the material, the sheepskin that we source, um, and the purchasing scale and volume we have as a brand, as a force for good. Uh, so that's really where our relationship started. And uh, it's unique uh, because when we started this two, three years ago, there definitely was uh, leather available from regenerative farms, but there was no sheepskin at all available. Um, so what we did was really start a relationship where we partnered with Savory Institute and with Land to Market. Uh, they, of course, have relationships with the farms. They have relationships across the fashion industry, across the meat industry. Uh, we are a byproduct of the meat industry, so really important to connect the dots across the whole value chain. Uh, and they've helped us do that. And uh, now we have this ambition about really impacting change in the Australian sheep uh, market, because that's where we source most of our material. I was going to ask, I mean, originally, I still associate Ag with Australia also. But I know you are based in the U.S. We are based in the U.S., yes. The, the founder was Australian, and he came to uh, the U.S. in 1978, founded the company in, uh, in a California. So we've always been a California-based company, but strong links to Australia. Um, so that's where we wanted to start, obviously. That's where we get our materials. And uh, we, um, in two years ago now, is when we started our relationship. Um, so an uh, Earth Day in 2021, we announced an ambitious uh, restoration plan um, and a commitment, a five-year old commitment, five-year commitment to uh, restore one million acres of grassland into uh, regenerative farmland. How can we put that into perspective? Like how much of an, yeah, how, how relevant is one million acres? I have struggled to kind of imagine that. How big is that? It's big. It's yeah. Big. <laughs> And, and I would say that 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 will that will impact um, you know like m hundreds of farmers, um, and this is also regenerative agriculture works really well for farmers because it increases their profitability. So it's a win-win for everyone. And then in terms of product, I mean we're looking at hundreds of thousands of, of sheepskins. Right. So 
And that's kind of where we stand right now. You already have introduced the product uh, to the market. Um, and yeah, how, how is this combining to go further? I mean, you have just started like two years ago. Savory Institute has like decades of experience, but uh, now there's actually, we just learned, like there was no such thing combined with the cheap industry. I don't even know how big um, the cheap industry is nowadays. Um, I guess to still very relevant. So what is kind of um, happening now next? What's the potential that you see within like getting fashion textile companies more on board with your land to market program? Yeah, there's, I think, a lot of opportunities for fashion and textiles in this space. And we're, we also work in the food sector as well, which is important because the, the meat is really where that, that value is with the animal. But we have all these like gorgeous byproducts or co-products, um, which, you know, you have wool, you have shearling, um, you have leather and it's so, and even like bones and horns, you know, and so there's, there's all these great products that we can use that is supporting regenerative agriculture and, There's so many ways for the fashion industry in particular to engage. And this is why it's been so much fun actually working with UGG is because they came and, and understood that this doesn't just, doesn't just magically exist, right? We, we as an entire sector have to focus on using those products, but also growing supply at the same time. So that's why the project's so, it's just so cool. It, it's, you know, they're influencing the, the growth of the supply for, for their shearling, but that has all these ripple effects for the food industry, for other fashion companies. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's like this like growing program that, that helps everyone, um, who's involved and, um, but there's other ways to engage too. Not, we don't expect everyone to join land to market and do a, a million acre investment. You, you know, sometimes it's not even needed. There's wool available right now, for example. So even a smaller brand could join us. And what we do is kind of help them navigate that space. Like, okay, here's where the supply is that would match up well with your existing supply chain. Try to, try to be as disrupt, um, least disruptive as possible. Um, but you know, we do need brands, um, who want to join us to become members who are, who are very much mission aligned. Like we need the right partners who are willing to get a little creative and do business differently. That this is creating a supply chain. You're starting with the farmer. You're not just nominating a fabric or working directly with the, with a factory. You're going all the way back to the source. So you're, you're creating that transparently and it, it's really inherent into the product, which is also really cool. So those are the types of brands that we're looking to engage with. Uh. And I'm reading like also a stakeholder like textile exchange, which is quite a relevant source nowadays or fourth even in the industry is, is focusing a lot on this. And I feel really like, um, possibly we're going to see much more kind of interaction between food and fashion industry in the future because the sourcing is not that different always. And exactly looking into byproduct stream from food. It's really interesting for fashion. I think, um, do you think that in a vision, is there enough? opportunity with regenerative culture to kind of really yeah be there for the global demand of a fashion industry absolutely like like, like it's not even a question in my mind because we have so much land and we want that to be in a regenerative state we want to get back to having these like beautiful areas where we have just natural ecosystems. It's so important. So we tend to get distracted in the, at least in the corporate sustainability space with carbon and ESG goals and these initiatives that, but, but regardless of, of emissions and sequestration, we want healthy functioning ecosystems because healthy soil and thriving biodiversity will help the human species also thrive and be able to, to prosper. You need that healthy 
fertile soil. So I, I think let's, even if you like, let's say we can't meet the global demand, it doesn't matter. We still need to go forward because we want as much land to be regenerative as possible. We want healthy ecosystems. And right now there's too many ecosystems that are declining in health. And we can restore that by getting that, that balance right. It really comes down to the animals. I think we forget that in this conversation so often is that the reestablishing that, that relationship between the animal and the land is key. Right. So a real opportunity and uh, a potential problem solver there. Um, Nick's like when we now look obviously also again in the future, I was so, uh, so happy to already um, try out one of your first pairs that actually comes from uh, the Atkinson ranch, if I have that correct. So a lot of direct transparency. I really actually know now from what range should come. That's already really exciting, I think. Um, so how's the journey going on now? I mean, uh, you already said you're dedicated to continue with the uh, relationship, but yeah, what, what can we also consumers expect, but also, yeah, potential cooperation partners who maybe want to join yeah. this journey? Yeah, no, and that's why we're here. I think we want to really get more brands, more consumers aware of the benefits of, uh, um, of uh, regenerative agriculture. Uh, for us, um, we've just started the journey. Um, we're working with Land to Market to make the supply available. We're working uh, with our designers and our product teams and our marketing teams to create beautiful product, to create impactful campaigns, educate the consumer and create awareness. Uh, so what you see in front of us now will be available. The Tasman, the style is launching in two weeks. We have, uh, we're committed to regenerative agriculture being sort of real spear in our sustainability strategy. Uh, we're launching a pinnacle collection for fall 23, uh, beautiful craftsmanship. We're branching into tests in apparel as well. We're looking into leather, we're looking into cotton from regenerative sources. So uh, we're all in. And uh, what we'd love to see is other brands uh, see the benefits of this uh, and help, because we can only do so much on our own. Um, so that's why we're here to, you know, build a coalition too around thought leaders in the space uh, to really make sure that this is seen as a way for brands to not only reduce their impact, but actually have a positive impact on our planet and a long-term positive impact. Right. So, I mean, it's all about new alliances. We always also say that new coalitions. Um, so I guess people should approach you um, if they also want to go into this journey. And maybe one last kind of question on your experience. Like, um, do you see like one has to do a different way of communication around it? Because obviously sustainability is complex, but then somehow the market or at least the, the usual marketing likes it easy and not so complex. How to bridge this? The, are we already getting it or is it more complicated at the moment? Um, I would say that's why we're leaning also on our partners to explain it the right way. But um, we're, we're refining the message. It is a complicated message, but I think what's interesting, and I've been to a few farms and when you see it, it is the most natural thing in the world. You can hear it, you can see it, you can smell it. It's, 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 it's so obvious when you see a functioning ecosystem. Uh, and I think it's that kind of simplicity of like nature the way it was intended to be. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard to put into a slogan or in an ad, but I think that's where we need more people to experience this and we need more brands to help us figure out a way to really unlock the consumer understanding. Yeah. And well, maybe we can't invite all the consumers to see that 
which would probably be a good idea. But maybe we can start by inviting more brands, I guess. So maybe last words also to you, Megan, like how can other brands, other stakeholders that are interested, yeah, get into the same experience and be enlightened by the effect that it has on you? How can I be part of the Land to Market program? Well, you can you can definitely reach out to me or anyone else at Atlanta Market. There's a lot of resources on the Savory website, which is savory.global. And then a lot of people know the Savory Institute from uh, Alan Savory. Um, he's one of the, the co-founders, named after him. In 2013, he had one of the most popular TED Talks that there is. And it's about using animals to reverse desertification. It's a fantastic TED Talk. Like, you can just start there. It's how a lot of people get into it. Um, and, yeah, there. I mean, there's there's a lot of brands now putting out videos. Um, I used to work at a U.S.-based brand called Eileen Fisher. And they have farmer videos that's, that are so impactful because you not only see how the land has changed over time, but you also you hear the farmer's stories, how some farmers have actually gotten out of debt because they switched to holistically managing their land and how that created more grass growth. And that just led to more profitability and you know more, more sales and more volume because they could put more animals on their land because their carrying capacity increased. I mean, these are really pretty profound at the individual level and, at, and for the community as well. So there's so much out there to to research um, and and listen to. And uh, the other thing that's kind of exciting is some farmers, especially in the U.S. and, and a couple globally, are sort of getting that like celebrity status. So there's actually like number of podcasts and books and, and everything to, to really start understanding a little bit of the complexity behind this. Amazing. Um, maybe the very, very last question then, because now I have a wish for myself for this year to get one of those farmers maybe on our stage because they maybe they can also tell the story in a different way. And my last question then to you, what would be your wish for this year still to happen? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously we are all in on regenerative agriculture. I'd love for more brands to understand the, uh, the impact it can have. Um, we're exploring collaborations and partnerships and uh, yeah, the door is open for us to, to help build a momentum and movement around regenerative agriculture together. That's what I love to see. Right. Yeah. My wish, I have so many wishes, but one of them is very, very similar, but I think to get there, I would love to see, uh, especially brands, embrace that complexity and that nuance in agriculture in general and in supply chains, but it's specifically applicable to regenerative agriculture. I, I think sometimes we, we think the consumer, it's like too much for them to understand, but I, I think most citizens really want to engage in this space and they want to learn more. Um, so I think we should embrace that complexity, at least try it out a little bit and see what the response is. I, there is definitely that dark green consumer who, who was just dying for this information. <laughs> Great. I think we can all agree on these wishes and I hope they come through and very lovely to have you here. Thanks so much. Well, and now I have the pleasure to have Megan here again in an extra live session to deep dive into regenerative agriculture. So first of all, thanks for joining us, Megan. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Um, we, we just had you obviously on stage, uh, live also in Berlin during the 2020-30 um, summit at Berlin Fashion Week in January. And now our audience has just listened to you um, or to our interview together with Nix Eriksson, who is the Senior Director of Brand Purpose at ACK um, and a few other things. Um, and now we have really, for me, the, the great opportunity to look a bit deeper into these topics. Obviously, regenerative agriculture and in general, everything regenerative is still a new topic to many people. Um, and a complex topic anyway by the nature of it, quite literally. Um, so yeah, I, I really um, am happy about this chance and to have you here and I'm thankful to share the time with you um, to maybe directly go into the content. So last time you already provided a great introduction really into regenerative agriculture. I think our audience was... Um, Yeah, wowed a bit and, and understood a good bit of the basics. Um, you explained like its connections to fashion, also to food. Um, but still, obviously, it's, it's such a complex topic. Um, I would love to look into how can we explain it a bit more pragmatically? How can brands join into the journey um, that a few big brands are also now already leading? And yeah, in general, like um, what is the outlook for the future? And especially, I think, um, how much positive impact can regenerative agriculture bring to fashion? This is what I would love to look into more. And so based on this interview we just heard, um, I would like to first ask you a few more questions that hopefully going to animate um, our audience and also all kind of um, stakeholders from the value chains to look into products made from regenerative materials. And to maybe kickstart it, it's last time I thought it was really nice how you put it. And I guess this is also just your wording. But for me, from coming from the fashion background, it was also a bit funny. You mentioned how you're looking into the trending of land. Basically, how, yeah, what trends do land in terms of earth and soil follow? So maybe we can start with this. Um, maybe you can explain this a little bit more. Um, and, and also kind of, yeah, how, how can you measure such a trend? Um, and, and what is the, the kind of framework around it? What indicators are there? Yes, maybe you can let us a little bit more into this. Sure, absolutely. Um, so when we, when we talk about land trends, we're, we're really looking at the, the health of the land, meaning the, the soil, the, the plants, the biodiversity, and always striving for continuous improvement to, to take this, this ecosystem into something that's higher functioning. So where, where there is more biodiversity and healthy water cycles, meaning that the, the soil has the capacity to hold, hold the rain, right? That, that effective rainfall and, and make use of it rather than having the water just run off um, because of capsoil or, 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 you know, things like that. Um, so, I, I, and as you said, you know, what we're looking at is, is very complex. Um, so one farm is going to always be different than another farm. And those, those complexities and that variation has to be taken into consideration, which is one of the reasons why we, we haven't created Uh, just a regenerative standard. You know, we're not, it's not a list of practices because one practice that may work very well for, for one land manager and it may not work well at all for, for someone else who isn't within that same context. 
Um, it, and it could be the the health of their land, the, the, that state of their land, or even just their their own, you know, uh, personal life or what they have available to them in terms of their resources. So we're not coming out and saying, here's all the practices that, that someone needs to do in order to be considered regenerative. We're looking at outcomes only and saying, you know, we have these resources because at Land to Market, we're, we're connected to the Savory Institute. And there's these regional resources available for farmers to tap into for consulting and support services. Um, it's the the way that we measure land is actually through those, those savory hubs around the world where there's accredited monitors who can go out and they, they actually do the assessment. They use a protocol called ecological outcome verification. Um, and they, then they provide um, reports back to the farmer and it, the reports are all about the outcomes. What did they see on the land? Uh, they use these different indicators uh, like how much bare soil is there? Is there evidence of um, activity of, of, of um, insects like dung beetles? Is there is is there is basically is the soil healthy? Is there enough biodiversity in the in the plants that that can support the biodiversity of, of animals and insects? How, how many indicators are that in, in total? Just to have an idea, like how much, how complete, how complex yeah. is the measuring? The, there's there's 15 different indicators, and it's this this short term monitoring protocol is deployed deployed at various short term monitoring sites around the farm, and that's established between the farm and the hub who's going out and doing that that monitoring. Um, but it's one of the reasons I I love this program so much, especially on the land side, is because that information is not just a task for the farmer to do or more paperwork. It's providing them with information that they can react to. So it helps them in their decision making when they're deciding um, what to do to manage their land. And especially within that holistic management concept, there's, you know, you create a, a, a plan every year. Um, on how you're going to graze your animals, how you're going to move them around uh, the property and into the different paddocks so that you can get that intense grazing where it's needed and then letting those paddocks rest for the appropriate amount of time. And all based within your context. So you're taking into consideration all these different factors and you plan out your your grazing periods for the animals um, with the purpose of getting those regenerative outcomes. And then as you start to look at the land and you look at these different indicators, it's feedback so that you can adjust that plan throughout the year and then set yourself up for success, success next year, too. So it's, it's, an, it's an iterative process. Um, and that, that feedback loop means that not only can we assess the land and see how it's changing over time, but it, it gives that higher value information back to the farmer. That sounds like really a very agile tool. Then uh, I guess in, in in that sense, yeah, you you don't you don't depend so much on on like, um, yeah, the complexity of measuring something to an exact moment in this time. But you can like more go with the time and see. Okay, this is definitely a development here and and a positive one or a negative one. Um, can you then also do forecasting? If we already to talk about trends, then you know I'm I'm tempted to see. Okay, then if I have a, a good trend analysis for one two seasons, then possibly I can look into the future a little bit as well. That's a really good question. Um, I I wouldn't say that I would feel comfortable in forecasting how how much land is going to improve. But what we do know is, is that when when the farmers have access to their local hub 
and, and, and those they have that um, where they've gone through training and holistic management and are starting to apply some of those principles, like thinking of their land a little bit differently in the way that they move their animals. We have a much higher level of confidence that we're going to get those regenerative outcomes. And we see time and time again that the, the land managers who are holistic land managers, they're growing the, their carrying capacity um, of their land. So they're growing more grass. And that's great from an economic point of view because you now have more feed for your animals, but it also means that you're more resilient. So if you have more grass and like higher carrying capacity, especially in a, in, in really in a, like a, a native grassland situation, um, the soil will hold more water. And that can be the difference between getting through a drought without having to destock versus having, um, you, you know, being very vulnerable to a drought situation where you do have to destock and maybe even set up like sacrifice areas depending on the situation. So that resiliency is is a huge piece of it. And and we, we do see that, um, you know, the, the higher the higher the ecosystem functioning, the more resilient you're getting. Yeah, that's, I mean, it at least uh, seems to make sense to me also, not being expert in this field, but um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And um, okay, then we established like there is trends um, that, that you kind of can measure and, and this is kind of giving you the opportunity to really work with the farmers and work on a positive development um, and be sure that kind of, yeah, I guess they also that everybody is included in a, in a certain way. Um, um, maybe for our audience to who might also be brands and, and stakeholders from the value chain, um, let's uh, talk a few more basic elements. You already touched on, you mostly, mainly we were talking about farming, so we we're mainly talking about animals. So maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, in, in the land-to-market program, so what kind of regenerative farming is included? So basically at the end, what kind of materials can one look into with you? Great. Um, so we are focused on on livestock and, and products that come from livestock. Um, and, and the reason for that is that's 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 the whole Savory Institute's mission is to regenerate and restore grasslands. And that's through that proper management of livestock, because you want to move these herds of animals in a way that mimics how how wild herds used to move when there was more of an intact predator prey relationship, which, which we've lost in much of the world. So reestablishing how those herds move, it it's reestablishing a very important relationship within grassland ecosystems um, because the grasslands and those those grazing animals have this, this interdependent relationship. So their health of one another depends on each other. So um so so that's that's the that's the idea with focusing on livestock, because uh, we see them as just this vital part of an ecosystem. Um, and they need to be managed properly, though, in order to see those benefits. So we are Atlanta Market. Our, our biggest categories in terms of products that we're focused on is meat, leather and hides, or um, hides and skins, uh, and wool. There are other byproducts, um, obviously, from an animal that we're also, you know, starting to look at, too. Um, like, you know, like the offal um, or organ meats, um, collagen is kind of an interesting one and in, in things like oh, yeah, like that's even, actually like, also interesting for the beauty industry for sure yeah yeah and then well yeah exactly and speaking of the beauty industry too you have um we have a couple brand members who are in skincare and they're they have a regenerative uh tallow based skincare product line 
Um, and then even things like lanolin, which is the oil from the the, the skin of the wool um, or, or on the wool, it can be extracted. So there, there's a lot of opportunities um, and a lot of products that do come from animals. That's pretty exciting to look at. And then since you highlighted, um, and it was also part of our interview already, but I think it's maybe good for our audience to revisit that, the importance of grassland. Um, I think I even read once that grassland is has a, a sometimes even higher potential of like decarbonizing um, than, than, yeah, I, I don't know if even forest, but like at least a certain other or like young forest, etc. So I'm, I'm not sure, as I said, I'm not an expert on this at all. But um, yeah, so maybe can you let us in? So why, first of all, this focus on grasslands so that maybe also somebody who at the moment might be very vegan orientated is understanding that, well, animals do play still a very relevant role also in, in other ecosystems. Oh, yeah. Animals play a huge role in all ecosystems. And um, as one of my colleagues has said, I just I love this is, is like only humans separate the plants and the animals from the ecosystem, like er, er, like everywhere else, like they're just integrated and they have to be They're They're dependent upon each other. Um, but to go back to your question on grasslands, they're they're incredibly important because they make up such a vast uh, area of the land on Earth. Um, so much of land is is just traditionally a grassland. Um, and when you when when you take all that into consideration the carbon sequestration potential is huge because so so many of the grasslands around the world are in a state of degradation and it's because they've lost that that relationship that symbiotic relationship between the grasses and the the grazing animals that's the thing we're trying to to get back together which gives you a great starting point for for creating a thriving grassland and ecosystem um and and compared to forests it's it's really interesting because um, if you're if you're looking at it from a carbon perspective, which I don't always love, you know, I like to think about the entire like the holistic aspect of the ecosystem. But you see the carbon, that biomass above ground. You can see the trees, right? See, and and that's that. There's a lot of carbon um, built up in in the trees as well as the roots and everything. But in a grassland, you don't really see that biomass above ground. It's it's above ground. It's in the soil. Because the grasses are constantly um, through through the, just the photosynthetic process, pumping sugars and carbon into the soil, and that's where you start to see that 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 increase in organic matter um, and and soil carbon. Um, it's it's all in the soil. That's like that's that's where the magic happens in a grassland. Yeah. And, and if I recall it correctly, then also part of the secret is obviously how you handle the soil. So you don't kind of open it up too much again um, and, and let the CO2 um, uh, go into the air again. But like you actually you can trap it in, in the soil um, if you take care. Yeah, that, that's the idea. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the, um, the talk around like um, in terms of cropping, no-till farming has come into play. Again, it's going to depend on, you know, everyone's context. Not everyone can can just all of a sudden not till. But exactly. I mean, that's that's the idea is to keep the ground covered with plants and not extract the roots. So that's why we think the animal agriculture, I mean, it has such huge potential because you have this intact landscape And then you have the that animal impact and the grazing and and that's and then and then like they would move on to the next pasture, um, go go over to greener grass and then you let this area recover. So you're not actually extracting the plants, but you're leaving them there so that they have a chance to recover. And as they do that, they're putting more carbon into the ground. Yeah, and there we have an ecosystem. Yes. <laughs> 
obviously with a few more stakeholders. But um, in order to move on a little bit, um, so the grassland question brings me to the question, so where all over the world, as I know now, are you active? Um, so which is, which is the hotspots? Where, where do you find the grasslands where you see the biggest um, potential for positive impact? Yeah, so because we're working with brands, they want, they want product. So we're very much, uh, you know, we, we have, since we're connected to the Savory Institute, they're working globally. Um, and then when Land to Market comes in, we're looking at, okay, what is our strategy for the next couple of years? And where do we need to focus? Which regions do we need to focus on um, in order to get product to market in a way that is scalable for our brands and, and viable? Like these very small um, supply chains can be difficult to work in because of the barriers within the supply chain. That could be based on um, just infrastructure, um, mostly based on infrastructure, actually, and then um, aggregation potential. So what we're finding right now is that in, in, in order to, to ramp up and really serve brands, we need to be focused on the grass, those, those regions where there is supply um, and, and they have that, that supply chain set up that we can tap into. Uh, that is mostly Australia, South Africa, South America, mostly Argentina and Uruguay at the moment for us, New Zealand, and then and a little bit in the United States and mostly in the Western states um, where the where a lot of that ranching is happening. Um, and and did I, did I mention New Zealand, too? That's another region where we see a lot of activity. Um, and the reason we're focused there is, um, I mean, going back to the UG project, it's actually a really good example because they're already sourcing those sheepskins from Australia and New Zealand. So we know the supply chains are set up. They're not, they're not completely set up to do segregation, you know, turnkey. We can't just like all of a sudden turn on that land to market tap and have those verified sheepskins flowing through because we want them to be segregated. So we need that supply chain to at least exist and then find the right supply chain partners who are willing to purchase a little bit differently. They may have to purchase less, keep it separate um, so that we can at the end of the, at the end of that supply chain, UGG can make a boot and put it on the shelf and say, this is using regeneratively grown sheepskin. Um, and, and so meeting certain minimums, quality expectations uh, for each brand And, and just really finding those, those right partners in the supply chain to work with us and the brand is really key. So that's why we're focused mostly on the, on the Southern Hemisphere where there's um, enough supply to make, to make it doable right now. Um, and then what I expect is to get some really like, like turnkey solutions there for, for brands, both on the fashion side and the meat side, and then expand to some of these other grassland um, regions where we have to do a bit a bit more on the supply chain side right and um well then once you are there and totally logic you follow the existing uh, value chains supply chains as, as much as possible um and and then the first step obviously i guess is always having finding the, the farmers that are interested how do you motivate them um i think you mentioned also that they can make more money basically with regenerative farming but i guess there's some kind of time investment at least or also financial investment so yeah how do you get the farmers on board and and uh, yeah do they uh, kind of do they take some time or are they all really quickly on board and and yeah how does that work Yeah, it, it works in many different ways. So one, we're, we're lucky that we 
we're part of the Sabre Institute and they're, they're connected to, to farmers globally. So that's where we start. You know, these these farmers who are already bought into holistic management and achieving those regenerative outcomes, um, sometimes they're already measuring their land. Other times um, that's where we come in and say, OK, you know, this is great that you're doing this. We love it. But let's measure your land because then we can get your product differentiated and hopefully have a value add in the marketplace because you're doing all this work. You you know, all these ecosystem services that you're providing. Let's let's get that that value um, in, the, in the product as well so that a brand can say what they're supporting. So that's 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 one way. But. So, and that's where Land to Market is the verification program also. Yes. Yeah? So like where you support the farmers to, to help them really claim their story and, and, and claim that this is all true. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so the Savory Institute does verification of the land and then Land to Market comes in and does the verification for the products and designs the supply chain with the brand to, to make sure that it will work. Um, so we're, we're the um, on-product seal is, is Land to Market. Um, But it's been a really interesting couple of years, I would say. I'm, I'm pretty excited by the fact that a lot of brands are coming to us and saying, um, yeah, that's, that's great that there's a little bit of product that exists and we want to tap into that. But we also want to grow the supply because we know that's what's actually needed if we're going to, to make this regenerative movement uh, uh, you know, scale and have, have that large positive impact that we want to have. Um, and so it's been interesting Because now we're in the position of doing outreach to farmers um, through through Savory Institute and Land to Market just to, to to take investments from the brands, whether it's from their corporate um, arm or or their foundational arm, and saying, okay, this corporation wants to invest in you. They're going to pay for the holistic management training um, and the the EOV that ecological outcome verification uh, protocol that has to happen every year. Um, And, and, you know, I think for some, for some land managers, it's, it's the opportunity that, that, that they've been waiting for in a way they see this as like, great, I, I don't really want to pay for this, but I, I am so mission aligned and want to do this, or I've already been doing parts of it, but I want more training. What a great opportunity. And, and others, you know, they're trying it out. They're like, hmm, okay, maybe I'll try it. It's an experiment and we'll see what happens. And hopefully we can, we can start to see improvement because of their exposure to holistic management. And even just measuring land, sometimes all it takes is for you to measure something and see those outcomes um, to be interested in and to, to drive those, um, you know, forward and see progress. And then, and then others, you know, they're not ready. And so it, I don't, I don't want to position this as like, this silver bowl, like everyone's going to join us. No, it's going to take time. I mean, what we're asking is for, for sometimes like farmers who are, are multi-generational farmers to change the way that they're doing. It's, it's a mindset change. And that's a huge ask. Um, some of the stories out there that you can read about regenerative agriculture, you know, they often start with a farmer who is saying, I didn't know what else to do. Like I like I went through several droughts or the this farm was in debt or you know I was like like I couldn't make the numbers work. So this was like my last chance. I was like let me just see if this works. And so that's where a lot of these stories come from. So to ask a farmer who you know may not be regenerative, but may have a very viable sustainable business for themselves to say, "Hey, like no no no, you want to do this regenerative thing." It's it that it's a tough ask. So um 
hopefully what we can do over the next couple of years is is have more farmers involved in the program, get more data under our belts and have multiple years of data to then start saying we have very good trends that that if, if you're doing this, um, you will see these outcomes. And, and here's case studies. Here's 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 proof using the data that, that this land is improving. Um, so I think we're going to get there. I mean, it should be a win-win. The whole idea is what we're because some, sometimes what we'll have is um, people will I'll talk to you know some some people in the supply chains or who are connected to farmers, and the very first thing they say is, "This is all great, but the farmers that I work with they don't want to destock their animals." I'm like, "We're not asking them to destock. There's there we're we're not even." we don't even think there would necessarily be a decrease in production in, in those first couple of years, like with other programs. Um, we want to see an increase in production. We want, we're driving for increased carrying capacity of the land so that potentially your next problem might be a really good one where you don't have enough animals to keep up with the grass growth. So how can you then invest in your business and put um, more cattle or more sheep on that land so that you're now increasing your your production volumes. So that's what we're driving for is really thinking about abundance in the ecosystem and for the the those folks who are managing the land. Yeah, that that's so exciting because I think that it does demand a bit of a change of perspective. Um, and some people have probably a hard time to understand this, but that actually nature is, is such a power production house. Eh? I mean, I always uh, love that perspective when uh, if, uh, Luke Haverhals of Natural Fiber Welding um, explains like his vision around his products and his uh, ecosystem, then he always quotes this and, and comes up with, uh, it feels like the most crazy numbers of what is out there in terms of material. So um, whatever these impressive and, and yeah, unfortunately uh, not so great f uh, environmental impactful, huge amounts of polyester that we produce as humans, they're still easily matched by, I don't know, by, by, by any plant alone. Yeah? And, and then if you put in together all the biomass on this planet, it's, it's huge. So, I mean, this is very interesting in terms of, in general, looking more, I guess, into uh, combining food and, and fashion supply chains and, and seeing where's the potential to kind of be more efficient. And I mean, what I hear from you is, is very interesting also because it sounds like that basically the demand is really coming from the brands at the moment. So they're pushing this trend. And you, luckily, the Savory Institute has been there for a long time already. And you with Land to Market is now very active to facilitate in this area. And you can offer a lot of benefits to the, to the farmers. So um, yeah, that all sounds great. And obviously, we already touched on a few of the challenges. Um, but I also found it very interesting when you say that basically, I mean, data is is also a key. Um, and then with more data, more transparency, etc., which is always helpful, I think. Um, you can also start more into into forecasting yeah? and, and predicting more um, to farmers at the end, maybe that uh, that the transition will be successful if they follow a few kind of um, proven steps or something. So yeah, that, that all makes me very help, uh, hopeful and, and it's really good news, I feel. Um, maybe we can use our last minutes to now translate it a bit more further into brands and stakeholders, especially here in Europe. So, I mean, I know you are situated uh, in the US and we really were happy to have you here. Um, but yeah, how is it for a European brand that wants to look into regenerative fashion right now? Can they just talk to you? Should um, How should that work? Um, um, yeah, what, what's the first step for them? 
Yeah. So any brand, no matter where they are, it could be Europe or, or elsewhere. The, the first step would be just to reach out and you can go to our website, uh, landmarket.com and um, contact us. So we work with brands around the world. We have several that are in Europe um, and our team is expanding to su- support them. So um, we have 12 people on the land to market team now. Most are in the U.S. Um, we do have uh, someone in Europe. New Zealand, um, and, and South America that was well. So we have representation around the world. Um, and I would say, yeah, contact us because we, you know, we want to find out what's the, what's the best strategy for each brand in terms of sourcing regenerative materials. Um, and it's, it will look different for every brand, just like every farm has their own unique context. So, so do the brands and the way that they buy the way, you know, what types of materials they're sourcing and from where, so we want to make sure that that whoever we're working with, that we have solutions for them, um, that we have that that you know potential to work together based on their current supply chains, uh, and it's just it's it's a right fit. So, um, yeah, reach out. Let's talk. <laughs> and so obviously to also maybe summarize that a little bit. So basically, if you're looking for regenerative leather, regenerative wool, or the combination of both, I would say. Um, regenerative sheepskin as Ark is using it now um, they can talk to you can talk to land to markets um, uh, yeah, wherever they are in the world um, however big they are also I, I feel um, smaller and bigger corp- companies are welcome as far as I know um, but maybe what can you tell a brand how much kind of time invest should they be prepared to do or like what's a, a process like uh, when they call you will they get kind of a first insight within weeks or does it take half a year to prepare something what's the time frame that's typical yeah it, well it will depend so I, it, there's kind of two tracks so if a brand comes to us and you know they're looking for that off-the-shelf option in the sense that you know what where's the volume that already exists um that that can be a little bit quicker so What we recommend in, in, in that scenario is that they come to us, they become a member, but we, they also make sure that they have buy-in from their internal team. These these projects, um, when you start to source differently, um, it, it can definitely be a challenge. So having your raw material sourcing team, buy-in from design, um, you know, really anyone who is integral into that, that sourcing process, it's great to have at the table, um, especially when they have that expertise. So some some brands that we work with, they have leather experts on staff. So they need to be in those meetings because they understand the quality. We don't, we don't want to say, oh, there's leather here. Let's source from this region and then not have it actually meet the quality specification. So there's a lot to, to analyze. So um, being open and transparent with us is really important so that we can, you know, really facilitate the, the best supply chains for them. And then thinking like brands, most brands that we work with, they're very used to nominating at that yarn, finished leather or fabric level. Um, so also just being open to um, like, education, understanding, you know, we're working with farmers, um, they're bound to the growing seasons. Um, how can we forecast volumes based on where there's like other, um, activity happening in terms of projects around the world? Um, and then, and like understanding, you know, what are those barriers at the, um, far or first stage processing level? Like what type of aggregation do we need to look for? There's so many things to think about. So that's why we work pretty hand in hand on a lot of these projects. And then the the other track takes a little bit more time, but this is where those brands are coming to us and saying, we want to build capacity. 
So they first will invest in farmers. And that takes a while. You have to do farmer outreach, make sure you get, um, a, you know, the number of farmers you need for the project to be successful. Um, think about where they're located. You don't really want to support farmers who are all over the place and like where their supply can actually be aggregated. Um, so thinking about like, that growing that, that regional capacity um, is really important. Um, making sure the supply chain is is viable um, and that there's some sort of infrastructure set up to make that that processing uh, possible for the brand. Um, and then again, those farmers, of course, are bound to the growing season. So um, if you you once you identify a farm group, you have to wait until it's it's their you know spring summer months in order to do the monitoring because it has to happen at a certain time each year. You can't monitor land in the middle of winter. You're not gonna you're not really gonna see very much. You know it has to be beneficial for the farmer first and foremost, and and then make sense in the terms of the data that we're collecting. So. Um, you do your baseline of the first growing season, and it's not until the very next year that you come back and do your first year of just short-term monitoring to start getting some deltas. And then by year three, you can start looking at trends. Um, so it, it takes some time. And we also are looking for brand partners who understand that. And you know, this, there's no easy button in regenerative um, it, you can't just go to your factory or yarn mill and say, oh yeah, you know, I want the land to market verified stuff in my next collection. It's not the way it works. I wish it was. We're not there yet. We may be many, many years down the line, but I think bringing the brands on this journey and developing the supply chain together is actually very beneficial for them to understand what they're sourcing and how it impacts everyone else in the supply chain as well as the farmer. And with this, I mean, I think that, yeah, that was a very um, holistic answer also. And I think that is anyway the secret to a lot of the things we're talking about. And then since looking into holistic uh, solutions, then one should also be um, ready to kind of holistically go into it. So like, yeah, have your team ready and have um, the backup from, from the right people um, internally. That obviously always makes sense. Um, yeah, this was so lovely. Um, and I think we had so much more kind of um, really details covered now. Um, I hope that um, we could animate a few more people to look into regenerative farming and everything around it. And I would love to stop with like a, a last question to you that is maybe yeah, connected to also what you just said. Um, you're not there yet. You're not this kind of uh, turnkey solution sourcing for regenerative materials. At the moment, one has to work with you um, in, in, in a more kind of interactive way, etc. But maybe one day that's different. Um, and on the way there, I was wondering, would you dare to kind of guess how much time do we still need to maybe come to like some 10% market share if you look in over into the overall market share maybe if 10 is even too much and we start with five i mean um but yeah how do you see just in general the, the growth potential we've talked about the the volume is there for sure but can we kind of translate transform that volume into product um, in the next couple of years, what do you think? What what would be um, a guess from you, which is um, more or less realistic, maybe? Yeah. Oh, do I dare? Um, I don't know. I I'm very hopeful in this space. I I think I'm I'm hopeful because it doesn't just make sense for one actor in the supply chain, but it makes sense for everyone. Um, and and that's that's really important. Um, in terms of market share, I 
I, I don't know if I could even give you a guess. Um, but we're seeing a lot of interest in terms of uh, farm farmers, especially like farm groups around the world and the regions that I mentioned. Um, the demand is obviously there. One, one thing I would like, and probably why I don't want to guess, is because demand has been there for sustainable materials for so long. Um, but I haven't really seen the action on the ground or in the supply chain to really meet that demand in a realistic way. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, and that's why we're not just putting a, a standard out there and saying, you know, anyone can use this and, and, you know, and then create all this certified product in the world. Because if we look at some other, other materials, they haven't grown to what you would expect over decades um, based on demand alone. So I, I think, I think there's huge potential here. I think we're going to see it grow. Um, and one, one of the other aspects that, that is something that I'm um, very passionate about is just maintaining integrity within these supply chains. So making sure that of all the materials that we're tracking that are being produced every year uh, and, and for, all, for every individual supply chain, that we don't see more materials sold in the marketplace as regenerative. So, so that's the other thing. I think we just have to maintain, um, be, be very realistic uh, about where we are and what we can do right now. And for all the brands who want to join, like we have to, we, we just have to move forward. We have to keep taking the right steps to regenerate land. Um, and I think if we're really focused on the impact and and making change in the ground, it will scale. If we get so hung up into in like how it's marketed and, um, and, you know, like the, the pricing mechanisms and, um, making sure that X percent of the product is certified. These aren't really great goals. Um, what, what the, the goal should really be is, is you know, acreage impacted, um, trends in land health, how many family farmers are, are benefiting from, from this types, um, these types of programs and, and also from just working um, a little bit more directly with a brand and how does that, how does that impact everyone? So I don't know, I'll stop rambling now. That's kind of a long winded answer that didn't really answer your question, but the, I just don't know, but I'm very hopeful. <laughs> It was also a mean question that obviously doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have a, can't have a, a seriously scientific backed answer. Um, but I'm very thankful still for your answer. And I think it did um, include everything that, that we need to look into at the moment. And especially, yeah, we all need to look into things seriously, but we can also have fun doing it because changing stuff can be fun. And I think this is something also that, um, lies within regenerative a lot and i'm very happy that you highlighted at the end also still the social aspect i mean it has such a huge potential for yeah uh, getting a positive social impact into value chains for food for fashion etc um, and in general i hope um, that this is also uh, helping to bring fashion and food supply chains closer together i think there's so much potential so much overlay that is not being organized yet and which alone could uh, bring us uh, a few steps forward and then maybe we yeah we don't have to uh, look so much into kind of land use conflicts uh, between different sourcing um, we can just combine them and And hopefully have a really holistic and regenerative approach there. 
So, um, thanks so much, dear Megan. I hope to have you back at some point uh, so we can talk more about back. the progress. Thank you. <laughs> um, as I mentioned already during our summit, I also would love to invite uh, Farmer at some point to really look even deeper into like the, the practical aspects of it. Um, but yeah, let's see how we can and when we can manage that. And yeah, for now, I would just say thank you again, also in the name of our whole team. And I'm looking forward to see the progress that you're making with Land to Markets. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Max. It was a lot of fun. Wow, that was a really interesting deep dive talk. Yeah, I mean, I was so happy to have this chance really with her. And I mean, well, we, we both obviously look into regenerative now for a while. And it's great to have people who can actually explain it and, and who are pushing it into the market. So yeah, let's really have um, them back at some point. Absolutely. I learned a lot. And I'm also looking forward to our next edition from our podcast with Hasna Kurda, Marion Röttges and Annika Wolat and Selina Paris. They will be talking about regenerative leadership and regenerative organizations. So stay tuned and don't forget to look into our show notes and follow us on Instagram at 202030 Summit.